What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Go Blue with Stu podcast. I am your host, Stu Douglas. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Go hit that follow button on Spotify. And if you can, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel, Field of 68. Type that in, you'll find it easy. Today, I have a great guest in Duncan Robinson. Loving what Duncan's doing in the NBA. I love his story, love his mentality. Um, incredible shooter. You know, I'm jealous of the way he shoots the ball. I always love watching him play. You know, the finals were so fun to watch. Uh, we had a really great talk. Hope you guys will really enjoy it. Uh, before we get into that, talk a little bit of Michigan basketball. But I really honestly don't know what there is to say. I mean, they're just destroying everyone. And it's really not even close. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I know, I know why they're playing well, but I don't know what teams are going to do with Hunter Dickinson. I mean, they're, they're sending doubles, uh, you know, and they still have the seven-footer at Minnesota. And so, like, what are you supposed to do when you got a seven-footer to guard Hunter and you still got to send doubles? I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm just now interested to see how they play Iowa and Illinois, you know, maybe guys that can match up a little better with Hunter. But, again, it really doesn't seem to matter. I think this team is – coming together in such a short amount of time. Like I expressed a little bit of concern. I think that was the last episode of Brandon or even the one before that. It was like, well, you know, they haven't had enough games now. You know, that was dumb. Now they've figured it out pretty quick. And I think that has to center around Hunter and, and, and you know, Franz and Livers kind of playing off that. And then the other guys just filling the roles perfectly, however they need to. I mean, last, you know, against Minnesota, Sean D, I think had five, Eli had two. And it still doesn't even matter. Like those guys can show up and have, 15 apiece next game and be the reason that Michigan wins. I mean, it's just, it's getting ridiculous at this point. And it's just, it's going to enjoy watching it because the evaluation is, I don't know, you know, I guess it's always harder or it's easier to criticize, but uh, it's pretty much right there, right in front of you, why they've been so successful. Uh, But the, the thing that I've been impressed with is the building upon it. And now they have that confidence where they'll have a bad game. They're going to have a bad game. It's going to happen. They'll lose to somebody. I mean, I say that and then they go undefeated, but like they're more than likely going to lose a game, but the, I have the utmost confidence. They'll just turn around and be their normal selves again. Like even if they have all have a crappy game, like they'll just be fine. And that is to me, one of the biggest keys in college basketball. I mean, I've, I've been a part of teams that have had momentum both ways, bad and good. And once you break that bad momentum, you have a really great run. And sometimes if you break that good momentum, you start ending up playing like crap. And, and I've experienced both. And this team doesn't seem like um, once, whenever their good momentum is broken for one game, they, they seem like they'll just bounce right back. And that's a testament to those guys and buying in and Juwan just top to bottom, like coaching staff to the players. That's a testament to all of them. So it's been really fun to watch. I'm really excited to keep watching them Big Ten play. I mean, Big Ten is it fuck it's a crap shoot i mean i don't i don't understand really what's going on i feel like the everything's flipped it was like i was talking in one episode about the back end of michigan schedule being full of ranked teams and and you know then michigan state kept losing northwestern got ranked minnesota got ranked i think ohio state maybe just dropped out of the top 25 i really i'm not really quite sure of that but they probably will um so they they figured out early against really good teams so it's really encouraging um but yeah we got a great episode with duncan really great interview hope you guys enjoy it make sure you subscribe rate and review on all the platforms that you got and uh yeah enjoy the interview thanks guys duncan what's up man appreciate you coming on yeah for sure appreciate you having me man 
Yeah. So uh, this is obviously a Michigan basketball podcast. And uh, you told me you've watched a little bit and fall a little bit. What are your what are your quick thoughts on Michigan basketball with the 10 and 0 start? Obviously, yeah, like you said, off to a great start. Um, certainly making an alum, you know, like both of us, uh, very proud in how they've been handling themselves uh, just in the midst of all the adversity that's come in a season like this. But uh, they're, they're fun to watch. They, they play really hard, uh, you know, which I knew would be a constant uh, with Jawan. And uh, they're sharing the ball offensively. And, I mean, they've, they've looked, I don't want to say perfect, but, but damn, pretty close yeah. to it. Uh, close. Just in terms of, uh, you know, offense and defensive execution. So it's fun to see, you know, guys that I played with step up in, in now leadership roles and also some of these young guys come in and, and really make a difference. Your time overlapped a little bit with Juwan in Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. So my uh, my first year in Miami, you know, I spent half the season with the Heat, half the season in the G League, mm-hmm. um, and got to know Juwan well. Obviously, we had the Michigan connection. And, you know, even when he was down here, he had a ton of pride in, in the maize and blue and uh, would remind me of that constantly. So uh, it's it's been fun to, to see him transition um, into – you know, the success that he's had. I, I remember early on when uh, there was kind of some, some talk that Coach Beeline might leave, I remember asking him, would you ever take the, the Michigan job? And he, like, lit up as soon as I said it. He was <laughs> like, he's like, you know, man, because to be honest with you, I don't know if I'd ever want to go back to college, but that is one job I would love to have. And now he's just, like, relishing in the opportunity and, and killing it. So I'm super happy for him. Yeah, like what did you see? Because I've just heard nothing but praise, especially at this time in Miami. Like, what do you, what was so praiseworthy? I mean, I've heard so many great things, but what was your experience with Juwan in Miami? Uh, I, I think first and foremost, it, it just jumps out at you that he's an incredible person, and uh, you know, it's almost like you know, because he's larger in life, and that he's like this cultural icon, and yeah, yeah. you know, all NBA, you know, nineteen year career, you know, the whole thing. Um, but he's just such like a genuine human being and it almost like comes across as like, this can't be real. Like this can't be what this guy is actually like, but he really is. And he, he just cares about people deeply. Um, you know, everyone on our team, you know, I was a undrafted guy at the time, not in the rotation, not playing, could really do nothing for him in the situation that he was in, but he still, you know, took time to invest and, and keep up with me and check in with me and make sure everything was good and that the transition to, you know, life as a professional was going well. And that just meant so much to me as somebody I grew up basically idolizing, yeah. um, you know, an, an NBA star and obviously, like I said, a, a college icon. So I think that's the thing that jumps out first is that he just really cares deeply about everybody, but specifically his players. And I think that once you have that connection with your coach, you're just going to go out and, and bust your ass. You know, you're going to want to play hard for him every single night. And uh, I think you see that on full display. And, and then from that point, the, you know, the X's and O's can fall in line. You know, it's – yeah, no one's really, like, reinventing the wheel in, in college or pros. Everyone's kind no. of copying each other. And it's all about execution and, and playing hard. And, and he's, he does that. He's, he's able to really, really get that out of his players. Yeah, it was funny reading a quote from Phil Martelli, and he was – Talking about how he was observing Juwan coaching walk-ons the same way and with the same pride and passion and attention to detail and, and compassion as well. And just that he would if it was a major minutes guy. And I was like, oh, okay. So now I get it a little bit. Like all these things are starting to come together about how he gets the most out of people, but also just kind of lets them 
be themselves a lot. And I feel like that's a lot that you guys have in Miami as well. It's just kind of, all right, we're going to get the most out of your talent, but you know, I'm going to be here to figure it out with you type of thing. Cause in college, you and me, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly that <clears throat> similar situation. You know, it's like in college basketball, for sure. It's like, this is my way and this is how we're going to do it. And it's successful as hell, but yeah, I feel like it's just like a, a different thing to have a guy like Jawan come in with his experience and everything that he's gone through, the ups and downs. And yeah, it would be, uh, I, I would love to be a part of those practices and part of those teams. It would be really interesting. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it boils down to, and, and I know I, I said this sentiment earlier, but like he, he just really cares. And I think that particularly, you know, when you get to that level of college basketball, like everything matters, you know, like yeah. winning, the margin between winning and losing is so thin that everything matters. And, and when you have, you know, guys at the, the end of the bench who maybe aren't having the roles that they envision, but they're still invested, they still care, they're still bringing it every single day in practice, that is oftentimes what gets people better in, in that particularly college basketball, you might play twice a week, you know? So those practice days, how are you improving? And if guys are showing up and, and eager and, you know, they feel like they're, they're fulfilling a purpose. Um, I think that goes such a long way. So I think that he's just done an incredible job of, of implementing a, a culture. And, and that, that, that's not to say that, that coach Beeline and yeah. didn't have a culture as well. Cause of right. course he did. Um, I definitely think that, there's different ways to do it. You know, there's different ways to be successful. And, you know, coach Beeline was this kind of offensive mastermind and was able to manipulate defenses and, and do different things and put people in situations to really, really be successful. Um, and I think both, both are, are valid um, methods of, of doing it. And I don't think one's right or wrong, but it's, it is fun yeah. to see uh, particularly probably for, for Michigan basketball fans, just another way to be successful. You know, it's, it's not just the be all end all of, execution execution and details um not to say that juan doesn't teach that stuff because i'm sure that he does sure um and once again this is not a slight on coach Milan because i love playing no coach yeah Milan. um but I, it is different for sure no i mean it's one of my favorite things in sports is to see how people do different things to get to the same success and beeline i mean i've learned so much this is not slight on beeline at all uh but you know those things are demanding um but yeah, it's just fun to watch people do it different ways and kind of observe that and take that in. And, and I asked Stauskas this when he came on. I wanted to ask you about it because Beeline's pregame prep, every game prep is like mythical to me still to this day. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you like what the experience is prepping. I know NBA games, you got them back to backs. You, you know, you can't quite prep for every single game, but how does, is what's the difference there between Michigan and Miami? Um. You know, Co Coach Beeline, you, you said it. I, I don't think I'll ever play for another coach who just turned over every potential stone and brought like like nothing was was ever not going to be covered. Yeah. Um, which I think made us as a team. It gave us a certain level of confidence because we felt we were truly prepared. Um, you know, that requires a certain level of discipline, a certain level of focus. And I, I think the the thing with Coach Beeline, which made his teams really successful, is it wasn't a matter of whether or not it was going to get covered or whether or not, as, as a player, you were going to know the game plan going into, a, a you know, an offensive scheme, a defensive, you know, what we were going to run. Um, you knew where we stood. You knew what we were going to do. You knew how it was going to be executed. 
because he would go to the lengths, any length that was required to make sure that everybody knew. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest difference is that we do a lot of the same prep, um, not nearly to the extent, but there's just an expectation of, look, we're not, we're not going to hold your hand through all this. We're not going to go over it 15, 20 times. If you get it, you're going to play. And if you don't and you prove over and over again that you're not capable of picking up and grasping these concepts, you're just not going to play. And I think that that comes with the luxury of, you know, professional players. There's, there's a talent, you know, even, even the 15th guy has, has an extreme, extreme level of talent. I think obviously college players are really talented as well, but the, there is a drop off there in terms of, um, you know, your, your top four, five, six, or your rotation guys versus sure. maybe your non-rotation guys. So I think it's a little bit different in that sense. Um, and I think that, you know, in how coach Beeline handled it, a lot of it was justified in that we always were prepared. We always knew what we were going to run. We always knew what the other team was going to run. We knew how we were going to defend it. Um, so I think that gave us a big advantage, but I, I definitely think that there's a, a difference there. And I think part of it is, that coaching staffs, particularly at the professional level, just treat players with a certain level of maturity of like, all right, you're a professional. Like you're, yeah. you need to handle your business. And if you're not getting the job done, we'll find somebody else. And Spolster is a former video room guy. Like, are you guys breaking down film you know, individually as a group? Like all of it, like, you know, do you have to go and request it? Is it kind of however much load you want to take on? Or how does that work with with Miami? Um, we, we do a lot of film stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, we We'll recap games uh, as a team, sometimes, not always, and we'll always do some level of film going into a game as a team as well. Uh, but it's, it's usually pretty brief, and, and a lot of the responsibility falls on the individual. Uh, you know, there's no shortage of access. You know, we have, we have all the access in the world to whatever clips, yeah. uh, whatever actions, for anything, legitimately anything. Um, and, that, and that's one great thing about particularly NBA organizations is that the resources you have to just reach out to a video guy, be like, Hey, look, I want to see all the times our offense was successful in, in this actions or, or all the times that this opponent ran this action and how frequently they do it. And, and all that feedback is there for you right away. Uh, just because they have the, the manpower to do so, you know, college staffs, you just can't expect that to be the case. Right. Um, so, so a lot of it is like what you want to make of it in that, you know, there are guys that certainly watch more film than others, but there is a minimum that we, that we also watch as a team. Um, I think he, Coach Spoh does a really good job, you know, as you mentioned, being a film guy, but understanding that it, it's, it can't be the only form of, uh, you know, form of education that you're getting and that you need to be on the court, you need to walk and talk, you need to go through it live. There needs to be different mediums um, just to, you know, retain information. Yeah. I'm interested because I've, you know, you're one of the best shooters in the entire world. And, I, and I've listened to, or I've heard Corver talk about how he breaks down his shot. And like one year he got hurt and he had to like break it down a little different. And he had like 20 points of, of emphasis for his shot. Like, do you think like that? Because the way I've read how you've evolved into an NBA shooter into such a great shooter um, with such confidence it doesn't seem quite like that. Like, are you going down, breaking down film, breaking down your shot, or is it mostly a feel thing for you? First of all, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, thank you uh, for the, the kind yeah, of words. Yeah, that's easy. Um, second, 
Yeah, I, I think people approach it differently. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of gone in and out of, of that sort of like evaluation of my own shot throughout my career. Um, where, where I'm at right now is that I have like two or three kind of keys that I, that I like to really focus in on. Um, I've kind of learned that if it becomes more than that, then all of a sudden my, my mind is just getting pulled in different directions and I'm starting to worry about everything except, you know, making shots and, and doing what's actually important. So yeah. I kind of boil it down to like two or three things that if I feel like I'm, I'm doing well, I just feel like everything's going in. Um, yeah. And obviously it's unrealistic to think that everything's actually going to go in, but a lot of times it's, it's less about misses and makes for me and more about, just how it's feeling coming out of my hands and um you know it's it's just little stuff um you know whether it be a lot of it's actually people oftentimes talk about your strong elbows and you're like your shooting elbow for me it's my my left elbow making sure my left elbow's in Um, same base base yeah base is a big one for me um and then arc and, and ball trajectory ball flight is another big one for me so just little things like that to just kind of key in on. Um, so my mind isn't too distorted and distracted, but instead just worrying about the right things. Yeah, dude. I like, for me personally, I'll do like, uh, you know, I'll hit a shot and I'll be like, ah, I didn't come off my finger. Right. And then I focus on that for the next four or five shots. And then my, my, my base is wrong. My left elbow's out. And I'm like, the hell am I doing? Like, just make it shoot. Don't worry about it. Just try and make the shot. And it's like, I don't know how some guys can do it. They just overthink some things, but some guys are more mechanical like that. I don't know. It just kind of depends on who you are and how you are mentally. And, and I was reading about, I was reading a, I think it was an article in the ringer about you and your, your comeuppance last year. And it was like written, I think in the beginning of the playoffs and you had mentioned that you had worked with a mental coach. And that really interested me because I always kind of wanted to do that. I'm a little cheap, so I didn't want to pay for a mental coach. But like, how are you still working with them? And like, how did that come about? Like, did you do that right at the beginning of the NBA? And how has that helped you with uh, with your play? Oh, it's it's helped me a ton. Um, you know, that kind of comes back to the resources uh, thing of, yeah. about the luxury of being. Because you guys a- have a guy on staff, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's not technically on staff, but okay. you know, he, we brought him in for training camp my first year and. You know, now at this point, I'm I'm fortunate enough to to call him a friend, and that it's it's less nice. like, you know, I let's do a session. It's more of just like let's you know let's catch up. Yeah. And um, he he's he's helped me a ton, and uh, he's he's been great all the way through it. And so much of it has helped me just kind of compartmentalize um, shooting. In that you know, as as somebody, I'm like a very natural overthinker, in that mm-hmm. I overthink situations and. I get indecisive and I, 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 I'm my own worst enemy in that sense. And, and he's really, really helped me, um, particularly when it, when it comes to shooting and, you know, that first year when I just felt like I needed to make every shot and, you know, he, he shared something with me around, you know, there's this idea out there when it comes to mental training about, you know, visualize every shot going in, visualize, you know, the perfect rep, and it's, it's just like that, that's unrealistic. And, and what, what's more important is to understand that, have the expectation that things aren't going to go perfectly and yes. that yep. you as a professional need to wrestle with the fact that you still need to perform in imperfect moments. And, you know, what prepares you for those opportunities is, is your repetition. And, and obviously, you know, seeing your repetitions and your work off the court come to success on the court helps build and breed confidence 
Um, but it's more so about, you know, not getting caught up in, in not even like individual shots results, but also like even a game, you know, having yeah. a, or a stretch of games, but instead like really growing this, this deep belief that, look, I, I might go two of 10 tonight. I might go one of seven tonight. I might go nine and 10 tonight, whatever it is, but over, you know, X amount of games, 10, 15, 20 games, throw the individuals out for what they are. I'm going to be right around 40, 42% because, you know, that's what I've trained for. That's what I've proven to be. Um, and it's, it's more about like developing that, that long game confidence of like, this is what I am. This is what I do yep. versus this like unrealistic, unshakable confidence of like, Oh, every shot's going in. Right. You know, this, you know, I just missed six in a row and I, now I have to act like I just made six in a row. It's like that. It doesn't work like that. Your brain doesn't work like that, but instead to just have like the, the peace of mind to be able to accept it for what it is. All right. I just missed six in a row. That doesn't mean the seventh's going in, but that means if I just check all my boxes and do all the right things that I need to do, that I, it has a good chance to. Um, so he, he kind of helped me just deal with the anxiety of particularly as an undrafted player with limited opportunities. It's okay to miss shots. Yeah. It's okay to, to, to not, you know, make everything and, and not feel like, or, or to feel like you're not performing to what you're capable of, but to just continue to, to push through that. Yeah. And, and I, I think a great example of that was you in the finals. And like the first game was the game you wanted. First I don't two. even remember the second game. Yeah. Yeah, first and, two games. yeah. So, but then you came back and it was like, you're shooting within the first two minutes. I mean, you're, you're, you're not hesitating. Like that's the type of thing that makes you so great. But like those first two games, were you in your own head or was it a fluke? And then like, how did you move on from that? Just that, that same thing you just talked about. Yeah. Those, you know, those, those first two games were uh, looking back, you know, I, I try not to have a lot of regrets about things, but those, those are two I'd love to have back just in that it wasn't that I, I didn't make shots. It, it was more so that I felt like I, I didn't play to what I had been all year. Mm-hmm. Um, which was more so about just being aggressive and, and flying off of actions and putting pressure on defenses. And, uh, you know, because oftentimes, like, I don't, I don't just have to make shots to be effective offensively, right. you know, like the gravity and um, how defenses shift and move based off of the routes that I'm running and, and the screens that I'm coming off to get open and create opportunities for other players. Uh, so that, that's what I was disappointed about most in, in terms of those first two games. And I felt like I started to get back to that as the series went on um, it's a huge testament to really my teammates and coaches for, for staying on me and just encouraging me to be aggressive. Um, so, so that was big, but you know, shooting is also, it, it's so funny in that, like, you know, in a, in a given game, if you go three of 10, you're a bad shooter, but if you go four of 10, you know, that's, that's 40% yeah. at volume and, and you're one of the best in the world. So it's yeah. like, you're, you're going to predicate the way you view yourself the way you view how you fit into a, a league or if you're good enough or your self-worth based off of whether one shot went in or out like it's it's when you break it down to that point it's it almost seems silly so I try to like strip those things away for what they are and you, know, you can say oh yeah don't look at your percentages everybody's gonna look at their percentages but yeah. it's just important to keep your percentages in perspective of that they're not telling the whole story and and they're not they're not necessarily who you are in, in a snapshot in a given frame, but instead to take the whole thing for what it is, 
um, and, and not get too caught up in, in individual moments. And, and the finals is a good example of that for me. And that obviously, you know, that's the, the biggest stage I've ever played on. So yeah, after those first two games, I, I was wearing it. I was like, shit, this is not going the way I wanted it to. Um, and that's why I said, you know, I, I give a ton of credit to my teammates for kind of pulling me out of that place and just encouraging me to get back to who I was. And yeah. unfortunately, I was able to see some shots going. From that. I tried. I was watching. Obviously, watched every game. I'm like trying to put myself in your position. I'm like, I'd be crapping my pants right now. Like, and when the NBA Finals, like, did you feel that game one? Like, does that? Do you feel that in the warmups before game one? Like, how, or do you just try and block all that stuff out? Can you even block it out? It's, you know, so. You, you definitely feel it. Uh, just you have these moments of like, man, this is, this is what you like grow up wanting, yeah. dreaming for, hoping for, um, and watching too. You know, it's like the, the pinnacle of basketball in, in a lot of senses. And it was also this such a weird situation with the bubble and, and no fans. And I almost feel that, you know, if it, if games one and two had been in like Staples Center, as weird as this sounds, like it maybe would have been like, more comforting and at least you like know kind of what you're dealing with like the bubble just felt it just felt so strange to the point where like you had to yourself like superimpose that this was this big stage instead of just like looking around and feeling it yeah um so it was just kind of this this weird push and pull of that but you know those first two i i particularly the first one um definitely i i felt it a little bit and then as the series went on you know, like anything you adjust, it, it starts to feel, you know, quote unquote normal, um, you know, whatever that means. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> as, as the series went on, it, it got better. Yeah. I was making a joke and I don't know if you know this, but you played D3 basketball. Did you know that? Yeah. I mean, apparently that's like, yeah. I mean, you just can't watch any broadcast without it ever. Being it was incredible. Hopefully that'll change at some point, but maybe not. Maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, with your success, I mean, people love those stories and it's great, but it's like every Michigan fan I was on Michigan Twitter and they're just like, okay, guys, like, can we talk about something else about Duncan? Like, I think he's more than just a former D3 guy, but I was talking to our boy Harry last night <laughs> and it was a, it was a, it was a funny story that he told me. And it was like, I think a microcosm of you. And I want to get into some of like your confidence building throughout the years. But he told me that, um, he was in Ames with George's Nyang. I think you're saying yeah, that right. George. Yeah. Yeah. Your George. buddy, George. Yeah. Sorry. And you were considering, it was after your freshman year at Williams and you were considering transferring coach left considering transferring. You called him up and you're like, do you guys think that I can like play at Holy cross? And Harry's like, the hell are you talking about? Holy cross. Yeah, dude. Like set your, <laughs> set your heights a little, a little higher there. Like it's funny to think about, even but with your, with your ability, but just it was, did that have to do with your late growth spur, just your slow movement up? Like, because I know you had success even in, in high school in your prep year, but you know wh where does that come from? Where you even commit early to Williams and you don't you don't do recruiting in your your prep year, and then you come out and you're like maybe maybe Holy Cross. Like, wh where does yeah. that come from? I, you know, I, I think it's a combination of things. I don't think you can point it at one thing. Uh -huh. um, you know, in terms of Williams, you know, the reason I chose to go there is because I just felt like I didn't have much of a high school career and that I, I really wanted to go somewhere where I was going to play and, and be valued. I wanted to go somewhere where I was wanted. Um, sure. So, you know, I, I, I didn't, I committed to a division three school before I played my last year of, college, or of high school basketball, which is pretty uncommon. I mean, normally guys, 
would wait to see if a scholarship popped through or, um, you know, whatever. And, uh, but I, I was comfortable with it. You know, I, I love the coach. It was a great, great situation for me. I felt like I was really going to play. And a lot of it was like, you know, I, I'll never forget. It was like a blur, but you know, my coach at Williams took a division one job. And then we have this weird stretch of like three or four weeks where we don't have a coach. And I'm like kind of starting to think about, you know, maybe I should just, I should just see what's out there. I I really didn't want to leave Williams. I was like, I should just see what's out there. Yeah. And I remember like early feedback being like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe like some of the Ivy league schools that, felt like they missed out on you might might come around and recruit you or like maybe a Patriot League school or like you know something like that and you know at that point I'm 12 months removed from playing AAU basketball or or high school basketball and being told that you're not good enough to be like a a low major division one player let alone a high major so it's like you know, so much, and, and that's part of the problem of like today's culture, particularly with like youth sports. But I really think with youth, youth basketball, I mean, I, I just know I can speak to youth basketball because I know it because I went through it. But it's like there's this constant effort to like label kids, you know, for, for what they are. And that's and what they are is kids like they're they're high school kids like they're so far from what they could be. But yeah, it, the recruiting process is just so twisted in that, like you know, once a kid gets like one division one offer in that conference, now all the other schools want to recruit him, but nobody wants to be that first one. And it's like this constant battle of like, well, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to offer the kid that doesn't have any offers. Like I might lose my job. It's like more about protecting where you are in in the role that you have than like actually trying to find the people that are going to fit your program. So, you know, I, I think it's a combination of things, but that you know so much of my career really as i've moved forward has been about developing the belief that i'm like good enough and and that's why i'm super i feel super fortunate to have people around me like harry who's like dude what are you talking about holy cross like like dude i want you to go to like i want you to go to duke like i want you to go to stanford i want you to go to michigan like that's yeah. what he was saying yeah and at that point i was like incredulous i was like dude no way that's that is ridiculous and then it wasn't until it started to like happen and it started to come to fruition. And then all of a sudden I'm on the phone with coach Beeline and I'm taking a visit to Michigan. And it's just like, just unraveled um, from there to the point where like, I remember, you know, five weeks removed from when my coach left, I'm committed to be a Michigan Wolverine and it's like a blur. And then two weeks after that, I'm on campus and I'm like, Holy shit, this just escalated real quick. Yeah. Um, and then it's with scary. that comes, yeah, with that comes like the, the like trials and tribulations of being like, holy shit, did I just rush into something that I'm not prepared to do? Um, and, and, you know, that's when you just kind of accept, accept the, that you made the decision and just keep pushing. Um, but I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have people in my corner that, that see something in me that maybe I, I don't see it at a given moment. Yeah. The Michigan fans listening, they know about the beeline, how many threes you can hit in five minutes drill. And I think yeah. you came on campus. I don't know if you broke Stauskas record right away, but I mean, you got in the seventies and if like I got mid sixties, I was feeling really good, but I could never do that. But like, was there a time was like that drill where you're breaking records or like, what was there a moment where you're like, okay, I belong here at Michigan because you had that whole year oh, where you had to sit out. I mean, that's gotta be grueling as hell. And like, 
And you're questioning like, well, I'm not playing. Like, what am, what am I doing here? Like, did you feel like you belonged or was there like even some doubts for that first year? Yeah, that, that year was definitely challenging. Um, you know, I remember being very clear when I committed that I was going into that year with the mindset of, look, I, I have the best resources in the world now. I have people that are investing in me. Like, let's just see how far we can push this. Let's see how good I can get in a year. And I think having that really helped. Like there wasn't this like constant need and and want to like be on the floor. It was more so about like, no, like let me get prepared to play the following year and let me check all the boxes and do all the things that I need to do to position myself to help this team win. Um, I think that helped a lot with that being said, there were a lot of, a lot of ups and downs, probably more downs than ups in that, you know, you might have success in practice, but it's always just going to be practice. And the other side of it, like you don't have the reaffirming success of games where it's like, all right, I'm, I'm capable. I can do this. Um, There were way more moments of like, you know, I, I remember like open gyms or workouts where I would like play with Karis or Derek, you know, one-on-one and they would, I just felt like a traffic cone. Like I just couldn't stay in front of them. Like I couldn't score on them. I couldn't do anything. And I'm like, dude, I'm, there's no way I'm going to play here. Um, But you know, it's, it's just always been like, keep pushing, keep showing up. And, you know, I had moments in practice where I would make shots and you referenced the, the, the shooting drill. Um, Once again, though, like that's always just going to be a drill. Like it's not, you still got to do it in games. Right. Um, so much of it was like just preparing. And then the following year when I was actually able to play and like experience success and see all the work that I knew I had put in come to fruition in terms of like materializing in minutes and, and shots and winning for us um, meant a lot. And, and that that's when the confidence really starts to compound and build. Yeah. And you had a really interesting career, just your trajectory at Michigan in particular and like starting out you average double figures and shooting really well senior year didn't shoot quite as well as you wanted to but I still would have killed for 37 and a half percent I think but like are there was there doubts during the senior year where you're like what the hell man I came in my first year scoring a bunch playing a bunch but you guys were winning so much like was that tough to deal with mentally where you're like it's not quite the individual thing I want, but you can't argue with the team's success. And I think that goes like, we're always in particular, I got it as well. Like I'm always, always applauded for like being a role player and being a part of the team. And then you're like screaming inside your head. It's like, well, what about me? Like, what about what I, my dreams and like what I want? And it's a really tough spot to be in. Cause you can't really vocalize that because then you're selfish. Yeah. And so like, was, was there struggles with that your senior year in particular? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, I think people see, you know, for example, you, you look at my statistical breakdown of, of my three years that I played yeah. and you know, my, my best statistical year was that first year, but we were our, the worst out, right. of, out of my three years. You know, we were still a tournament team and, you know, did some, some good things, but you know, the other two years we won big 10 tournament championships and went to the final four. So it's like, it, it definitely, there is this, this push pull and particularly like that senior year, um, you know, I felt like I, I had invested so much. I felt like I'd put so much into this 
And like everyone has, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying I'm like some unique actor and that I like, I'm the only person who, whatever, like everyone yeah. has their own personal motivations. For sure. Um, but obviously, you know, when, when success happens from a team standpoint is when you're able to kind of align with everybody else and you're able to get on the same page. But, you know, the, the thing about sacrifice and it's such like a, a sexy word that loves to be thrown around in terms of, you know, teams and that sort of thing, but everyone's cool with sacrifice until you're the one that's sacrificing. You oh, know? Yeah. It's like, it's really easy for, you know, player X who's, you know, taking 15 shots a game to, to tell some guy, you know, now you got to sacrifice. Like, yeah. right, okay. All right, man. Um, so that, that was a real challenge. And, you know, once again, I think it boils down to, I'm very lucky to have people in my corner to keep me level headed. Um, you know, I, I will say like, I, what helped is that I totally embraced the leadership component and that I felt, you know, in, in those pivotal moments of, for example, like being taken out of the starting lineup as a junior, yeah, um, or being taken out of the starting lineup as a senior, that those, if I handled those moments the right way, quote unquote, right way, yep. that that would give me credibility from a leadership perspective of like, hold on, man, like, you're going to complain about this or that, like, like, you know, like I I've lived this, like I I've gone through this too. And, and that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I still had a role and I still played a lot. So it's like, I understand that so many people would be like, Oh yeah, dude, like it's, it's, it's like penny. It's, it's tiny. It's, it's not a big deal for like, it's like tough life that like you got pulled out of the starting lineup, as, you know, at a high majors college, full scholarship, all that stuff. But like, it's still, like you said, like, you know, I, I had dreams of, of playing professionally and, you feel those slipping away and, and those are real. So it's, it's not to say that um, I'm not trying to like belittle that, but at the same time, it's, it's truly a challenge. And I think that the fact that I was able to once again, have people around me that allowed me to embrace it in the right way, I think really helped us as a team. And it didn't come without little spats here and there. I mean, coach Beeline and I behind closed doors um, talked about it and I don't want to say got into it, but sure. you know, we, we would have, forceful conversations around yeah. things and you know the competitive side of me I wanted to be out there and, and I was out there and I still had a role which is great um but you know like you said publicly amongst the team like you always have to handle it the right way and, and do things the right way and I think that's just like one of the the many life lessons that I've really taken away particularly from my my athletic career and that you know the moment you try to expect a certain thing or, or, or forecast how things are going to play out basketball gods, whatever you oh, want to yeah. call it, like have, have a way, yeah, have a way of humbling you and, and putting you in your place. So um, I'm, I'm thankful now. It, obviously it's easy for me to say from this position now to say like, yeah. Oh, I'm happy right. I went through it. Right. Um, but I really do feel like I'm a, I'm a better person player and a better leader in particular because of it. Yeah. I mean, just getting those different perspectives, I think is key. And I think it's helped you a bunch and made you very hungry and, very driven, but it's funny the comparisons with coming off the bench. Cause I had the same thing, maybe a little bit my sophomore year, definitely my junior year and coach wanted to start, start uh Smotrich. So he wanted to start Smotrich and like get him going into the game. And I was like, you know, it, it stung for a little bit. And then, you know, eventually it was like, okay, I'm still playing the end of the games. You know, I think he actually, it's like a testament to his trust for me because he can, you know, quote unquote, demote me, but still trust me to come in and do my job. So it was like the different perspectives you have to take on some certain disappointments 
uh, are just massive lessons. I just see guys all the time, particularly overseas when guys get like really close to the NBA and then they come overseas and they just, they suck because they can't do it. And it's like, that's their first time really facing this type of adversity. And it's like, dude, this is, this is nothing. Like you got to deal with this stuff if you want to get to where you want to go. And, you know, there's only so many, there's only so many guys that just come in and have immediate success. And, and right. the same with you in the NBA. And I want to talk about it because I just think I'm just enamored with Spolstra and the heat and all that. We, we hear all the time about heat culture, but it's my favorite thing in sports is to see when you can take a player and you're like, okay, well, we're going to make you the best that you can be. And they figure out you like, they don't try and conform you to whatever they think is best. They, they figure out you in particular. And I was reading about Spolstra. He did the same thing. Wayne Ellington, like punishing guys for not shooting and pump faking yeah. and like having that hesitancy. And like, that is just, I mean, how long did that take you to like, really be like, is he serious? Does he really trust me? Like, cause I know you had that G league year, but you know, was it that full year? Like, how was that whole process? Uh, well, it was certainly a process yeah. <laughs> in that, you know, so much of it, particularly early on, was him basically yelling at me for passing up shots and then me being forced to kind of come to terms with the fact that even as an undrafted guy, that like that was my role, Um which I know sounds weird because obviously everyone wants their role to be to just shoot every time they touch it. Yeah. And it's not as simple as that, but like that's basically what he was was telling me. But for me, it was overcoming this this notion of like, all right, I'm that first year, I'm I'm in the same locker room as Dwayne Wade, who's a you know three-time champ, NBA All-Star, Hall of Famer, you know, all of the above. And I'm the one who's supposed to go out there and shoot the ball every time I touch it. Like yeah. something just felt like weird and backwards about that um and a lot of you know you end up once again because i'm a classic overthinker like you end up thinking like why like what this is weird like why is this the way it is um but i once again i just give him a ton of credit for you know coach bo being incredibly persistent and basically hardwiring it into my mind of that look if if you want to be an nba player this is who you have to be um because you know, I'm not like a I'm not like a three and D wing who can just sit in the corner and shoot spot up threes and defend. Like, yeah. You no, know, if if I'm going to be on the floor, I need to be like an offensive weapon that's flying off of stuff and creating overreactions and uh, putting defenses in in stressful situations. So, you know, so much of that is, and I, I referenced this earlier, is obviously you have to make shots to develop the reputation, but like so much of it is outside of whether or not the shots go in. Like so yeah. much of it is just like being developing that mindset of like, this is who you are. And that's, that's what he saw for me that I didn't necessarily see. And particularly in the pre-draft process, you know, what I heard over and over again, I've said and get drafted was, you know, we know you can shoot, but you know, we're worried about these other areas, blah, blah, blah. And the heat kind of took a different approach in that it was, I mean, they, they were probably still worried about the other areas, full disclosure, yeah. but it was, it was less about like, okay, yeah, the shooting box is checked and more about, no, let's like squeeze this shooting for everything that it potentially could be. And let's yeah. like elevate your ability to shoot to not like being a good NBA three-point shooter, but like try to be, you know, one of five guys in the league that sprint off of screens and shoot the ball running away and do all these crazy things that are really, really hard to prepare for and guard. It's ridiculous, especially in the NBA. And like, I think, 
it seems like there'll be an adjustment too, where like you get in the NBA and you're looking at D Wade across the locker room, but like there is the room in the NBA for a lot of people to get theirs because yeah. that's what it's set up for. The court's bigger, the rules are different a little bit, it opens up the court, there's longer games, longer seasons, like it's all these sorts of adjustments that I feel like is so hard to predict when we're like looking at guys in pre-draft and like yeah. doing all these evaluations. And so it's funny to see you. I mean, I was playing this year in Israel and it was past season in Israel and my coach, which pissed me off. I love the guy, but he's like, you know, how is Duncan Robinson doing this in the NBA from coming from a D three? And he's like, kind of like chiding us. So we can't hit like a fucking shot. And I'm like, the dude's six, seven. And he's like the best shooter in the entire world. Like he's good at basketball. Like, why can't we just say that he is good? Why do we got to do all these other evaluations about where he came from, you know, past successes or disappointments. And so it's, it's really fun to watch you for real. Like, I, I really mean that it's, it's really fun to watch your growth and to see where you're headed. I mean, I just saw a graphic today and it's, I think since 2013, 14, I can't remember who put it up. Seth, Partnoy, I, I think I'm saying that correct, but it was uncontested or contested three pointers. You have the highest percentage since 2013, 2014, and then a lower percentage of uncontested threes. So it's like the testament of what exactly you're talking about, like not overthinking, just letting it ride and having that trust and knowing like that last miss is not even it's not even a miss. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just really fun to watch. I don't really have a question for you. I just kind of want to throw praise on you real quick. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for all the kind words. And, I, and I'll also say like, you know, you referenced the, the division three thing earlier that obviously that's a, a phrase that's been overused in every broadcast. And I'm sure people oh, yeah. you know, everywhere are sick of it. Um, first off, I want to say that I'm, I'm appreciative that at least I'm, I'm being mentioned in, a talking point of broadcast but with that being no, said i, I can hear... screw that dude you you deserve all the praise <laughs> that you there's no there's no like hey i'm just glad to be mentioned now you're past that dude well that's what i was gonna say i i, I hope to at one point just be you know regarded as just a good basketball player exactly. instead of the guy that started at division three um yeah. in that i you know I'm, I'm fine carrying that that torch as well because i i do have a lot of pride in small college basketball um and i think it's a high level of basketball but you know, you're right in that. It, oh, I hope at one point it just becomes, you know, he's a good player instead of like he's the player that, you know, insert storyline that is endearing yep. to people, whatever. You know? Yeah. So. Oh, no. Yeah, I have I have absolutely zero doubt about that happening. That is coming in your future real quick. But I got do a couple questions uh, pretty quick before we get out of here. One, Skeeps or Ricks? Skeeps. Skeeps guy. My man. My man, I knew we were like in that way. Mostly just way. because, mostly just because, just like I wasn't a bit like Friday night guy, so Saturday night. Mostly yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, Saturday night skeeps, man. Skeeps. Yeah. And I didn't want to ruin my shoes in Rick's dirty floors. Yeah, I mean. Rick's is a dungeon, man. <laughs> okay, last one, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Uh, what is the one thing that you learned at Michigan that you still carry with you today? Ooh. The one thing could be basketball outside of basketball, anything. Um, the one thing that I learned at Michigan, I would probably say I, I kind of referenced it earlier. Uh -huh. Um, but 
the importance of, of just really staying present and where you are and that, you know, the, the moment you try to forecast how things are going to play out. And, you know, like I remember coming off my, my sophomore season, um, you know, the year we referenced where probably was my best statistical year and thinking like, you know, I'm going to make another jump this year. I'm going to continue to improve. This is going to happen. Then this and this and this. And it's just like, you know, looking back, like I, I just wish I I had just been more so like, let me just lock in and, and be here and, you know, whatever comes and whatever, however this plays out, let me just maximize every opportunity. Um, just because I feel like when you do get caught up in that type of stuff, more often than not, it just leads to disappointment and discouragement. And, yeah. uh, you know, so much of it is just expectations. And, and I think you should have high expectations of yourself, but but also not expect anything because you know if there's anything i've learned throughout my career it's that you can do all the right things and check all the right boxes but you can't expect things to be given handed things to work out a certain type of way um but instead just maximize every opportunity you know be where your feet are and make the most of of the situation and i think you'll you know be a, a happier person because of it granted this is coming from I don't know, take, take it with a grain of salt. It's life advice coming from a, a guy who puts the ball in a hoop for his profession. But right. Yeah, that's no, what but I it's want. the same mentality. Yeah. 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 No, it's good. I, my mom always taught me the cliche, like expect the unexpected. And I was like, yeah. Okay. And then you actually experience it and you're like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Right. You're right. Yeah. Exactly. But man. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again later in the year. And uh, yeah, man. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I'm a fan of the, fan of the show. Love it, love it. All right, take it easy, man. All right, see you, man.